Good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. A day that saw a lot of negativity, especially from the, the grain side of it. Now, we did know that we'd had a little bit of an uptick here and there, but it was all about these live and feeder cattle. And how much uh, life did they suck out of the uh, corn numbers? We're going to find out that and a whole lot more as we look at the reports, including some ceasefire talk that's happening with Israel and, of course, these export numbers. Mike Zuzalo joins us today. Mike is with Global Commodity Analytics. And I think, Mike, we got to start there. Export numbers came out today. What was your takeaway from all that information? Well, my takeaway is I think the trade should not be as negative about the corn side of the equation as it has been. And, you know, interesting to note, and this is a little bit wonky, but I think the listener will like this, the March-December corn spread has widened out to where the March is around 33 to 35 cents discount to the December. And so you're talking about a pretty extreme premium in the new crop, a pretty big carrying charge uh, for that spread. Whereas before today's price action, the March, November beans, March beans were actually carrying a 20 cent premium uh, there or thereabouts, Susan, to the November. And, and while it's still premium, by about 17 or 18 cents, it kind of gives you the extreme mindset this market has had. And what that says, generally speaking, is the trade's more nervous about tight supplies of beans and and bigger demand for beans versus the corn. And the weekly export sales said the exact opposite. We are up almost 60% versus the four-week average in corn, uh, hitting a 47.5 million bushel export sales number. Uh, beans, however, down uh, over 60% versus the four-week average and at a marketing year low. And when you kind of translate that to the marketing year, accumulated year-to-date exports right now by USDA's numbers have corn up 29% and soybeans down 23%. So I think without the South American weather supporting the, the soybeans and without China purchasing soybeans, I think the trade is starting to wake up to the idea that if the corn demand is that bad, bean demand is not going to be much better because the numbers are starting to work against the soy. And what, why is that so important is because we're in the month of February and that's where that new crop price, futures price is the, is going to be our base price for our crop insurance here in the states uh, for row crop farmers, for corn and bean farmers. So it, it's a really important time to elevate your marketing plan for a variety of reasons. But if, if not for anything else, that one right there. Well, you know, you talked to, of the weather in South America, and I know that, you know, we see the same flip-flopping all the way time here in the States, but right now it seems like they don't know which direction they're going to go, wet, dry, and, and how these crops are going to turn out. No, and I think that's a really big point because you're not out of the woods yet when it comes to South America. And I think one thing that is going for the corn that's not going for the beans if you exclude a country like Ukraine. You know, the corn market doesn't have a Paraguay in South America that can offset Brazil's crop losses like they do in soybeans. And yes, you know, Argentina is is a big, big corn producer um, and one of the top three, if not the top exporter of corn in the world, um, pretty much, you know, four out of five years or four out of six years. But I think that you have less of a chance of getting the soybeans uh, to come down in South America in production than you do the corn, given the weather we've had. And the way the weather's stacking up here in the first half of February 
is a very hot, dry pattern in the northern parts of Argentina that snakes into Paraguay. And that's a very key area uh, for the corn crop and to a lesser degree, the bean crop in Paraguay. But I, I really think there's more on the line here um, for the corn crop to lose production than the beans as we see it here at the 1st of February. And so if I look again at the discount versus the premium, the spreads, the way the exports are looking, the way, as you say, the wheat turned around today, led by the European market, and I'm not so sure that wasn't maybe uh, rumors circulating that maybe China was back in for European wheat or for Ukrainian wheat or something like that, um, that, that, that turned the market's attention again. Um, I think the feed grains are looking better than they did 30 days ago. So how important do you see these February markets playing and in what our, our growers are doing? Well, other than what we just talked about, I think the other big thing to think about, you know, obviously the the, the talk about um, the, the February base price, the South American weather. The other really big thing to think about is this next three weeks, to me, is exceptionally important to the trade sentiment for the rest of the year if we don't have any weather. Um, you know, I've been talking around the country and, and doing meetings and saying, historically, the best cure for low prices is low prices. We bring demand back to the table. The trade, however, is not picking up on that because they're so worried about future demand loss from China and the rest of Asia and that China is going to pull down the rest of Asia and the commodity demand is going to look a lot like it did before the pandemic back during that 2015-2019 time period. And I think we've got this time period here in the next two to three weeks to really change the mind of the trade. And it starts with China. It starts with their moving more aggressively on changing their policy, cleaning up their property market, which they're doing. Um, and it also goes back to the, the Chinese stock market, the Chinese currency, those starting to see more short covering and more rally potential. And I think that kind of breeds maybe the green shoots of investors coming back in that breeds maybe the idea that we don't need to be buying the dollar on breaks as a safe haven, that all of a sudden we have an emerging market that's healing up. That's what the IMF suggested this week, earlier in the week, when they improved China's growth. That all leads typically and historically to a better commodity environment for the investor. And so it's like you and I've talked about before. There's the funds versus the fundamentals, the funds being the investment. It sounds good. Well, stick around. More is coming up. It is the channel final bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. A best of both worlds product portfolio is one of the aspects to look forward to from the new channel brand in 2025. Here's Matt McGuire, new channel dealer from Wisner, Nebraska. With bringing in Fontenelle and Channel together, I think that our portfolios will also be second to none, especially on the corn side. It'll fill holes for both companies that customers may have seen there before, and I think it's just going to uh, make us really rock solid on the corn side. For more, contact your local Channel Seed Pro in Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado. Welcome back once again to the channel Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as our conversation continues with Mike Zuzalo. Mike, of course, is with Global Commodity Analytics. And as we left the front half talking about a, a variety of different things, I'd seen and read a few things talking about this uh, ceasefire talk about for Israel and that having an effect on what we saw within the oil trade. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up. It's a very schizophrenic trade. The new month did not shift any sentiment 
when it came to the crude oil market. And, and what you see is the continuation, Susan, of the trade wanting to sell rallies really aggressively um, on any kind of news whatsoever. And it's very hard for them to hold rallies. And we've gotten very, unfortunately, very used to that in the grain complex in 2023 and early 24. And that really all goes back to China, in my opinion, in terms of the, the weaker crude oil demand mindset uh, works very well with the stronger dollar and with the weaker commodity demand mindset as a whole. And so, as we talked about before, I really look to the wheat and I look to the crude oil as the best two canaries in the coal mine, so to speak, for maybe what's giving us a turnaround uh, potentially with, with China and, and that that kind of tail ending and that story ending, kind of like the Federal Reserve finally saying yesterday, they're not ready to cut rates, but they're done with raising rates. So we can kind of close the chapter on that book, at least. Well, let's jump over and switch gears to this livestock side, because the cattle market, first I'm wondering how much did they bleed away from the corn, um, as we saw some definite bigger numbers in both the live and the feeder contracts. Yeah, the, the feeder cattle, I think, really did get an extra boost from the report, and it was a big enough boost technically that now the feeder corn ratio, and what I mean by that is feeder prices lead month divided by corn are now above the old highs from back in September. And that was about 55, a little bit over 55 times the feeder price uh, into the corn. Um, And so we are seeing a breakout in that ratio. And I think that gave the funds a reason to go hard after the feeder cattle, especially uh, today as we got into the middle part of the session. Um, the report, I think, clearly kind of said that the race is on. It's off to the races. Let's go shooting for a chance to put in um, and check that old high. Are we going to put a double top in or are we going to go through it? You know, everybody's been talking about this report of yesterday. And as you alluded to to how all these factors were working in, I'm hearing, though, the, the numbers 1951 and the year 1961. As one rancher said, it really, he goes, we knew it. We see it. But when you actually hear those numbers put into a conversation, it makes it seem more realistic. It does. And I'm glad you brought that up because I did some extra number crunching ahead of today's shows. Um, There's two things that I wanted to point out real briefly. It's a report that really shows the drought impact in the plain states. The top five states for the beef cows that have calved equal about 40% of the 28.2 million head for the United States. Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, in order from largest to smallest. All that South Dakota saw a 35 to 6% reduction versus the GN23 number. So that just shows you how bad this drought has been in the Plain States. And those animals probably are not going to come back unless we get them from someplace else in terms of other geographic locations. Um, that's going to be hard to do, so we're going to have to rely upon the replacement and the retention factor in the cycle of the cattle. And it's interesting to note, we're very much like 2014 still, and we talked about how that's a model year. Our total U.S. Uh, situation with beef cows, as I said, is about 28.2 million head. That was down 2.5% versus last year. In 2014, it was 28.9 million head. We're not that much lower than we were back in 2014 and so we're pretty close in fact and so 2014 was our last cycle low for that supply of all cattle and calves uh, at 88.2 million head 
on January 1, we were able to jump up to about 89.2 million in 2015, an increase of about one, a little over one, 1%. I can see a similar rebuild in the herd uh, in 2025 based upon the numbers I've looked at. So again, it goes back to what happened in 2015, 2016. We started to rebuild the herd. The dollar stayed strong. We had a deflationary mindset working. Um, The corn prices were super cheap. Agriculture was not doing the greatest. Um, And and yet we were pulling down the herd numbers and rebuilding the herd. And the production numbers were going down. But so were the prices. And so that's why I like to hedge as well. All right, Mike. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Globalcomresearch.com. It's globalcom with two M's, research.com. Uh, we can talk more in detail about you, what you and I talked about today and be happy to speak with you. And thanks so much, of course. Mike Zuzalo has been joining us today. And that is today's Channel Final Bell. The Channel Final Bell is brought to you by Channel Seed and your local Channel Seed professional. You can pick this up as a podcast at ruralradionetwork.com or wherever you subscribe for those free podcasts. And again, just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. And that's the Channel Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Upstream Ranch of Taylor, Nebraska will be holding their annual production sale on Saturday, February 3rd, and will be selling 333 aged, advantaged, horned, and pulled Hereford, Black Angus, and Red Angus bulls, along with 44 bred heifers. Cattlemen use Upstream Hereford bulls to maximize heterosis, performance, and profitability. Upstream Herefords originated in the early 1900s and features the largest selection of Hereford bulls in the nation. A great breeding season guarantee, volume discounts, and free delivery. Go to UpstreamCattle.com for more information. Oh, this cold. Honey? (laughs) Honey? Honey, you need Dayquil Severe Honey. Dayquil Severe Honey gives you powerful cold and flu symptom relief with a honey-licious taste. Because life doesn't stop for a cold. Okay, I'm ready to go. (coughs) Now I'm getting a cold. Honey? Try Dayquil Severe Honey for powerful cold and flu relief. Dayquil Severe with honey flavor. The daytime coughing, aching, stuffy head, fever, honey-licious, power through your day, medicine. Use as directed. Keep out of reach of children. 